It's the odd, odd, odd to Newfoundland. Ghostly greetings from your host, Jonathan. Mysteries, ghosts, monsters, and lore. East Coast esoterica and so much more. If it's up to you, friend, it's on the up to you, found line. Before we jump in, our brand new guest, you don't have to be a savant yourself, so to speak. You have got the ability to edit your own podcast, baby. That's right. You've got a chance right now to actually record and edit everything you could want under the sun. The beautiful thing about this is that anybody could do this. You don't have to be a savant, so to speak, when it comes to your audio editing. That's right. I'm talking about our wonderful sponsor, Accusanus. These guys and gals have given us the ability to sound way smarter than what we actually are. Yeah, that's right. With just a simple turn of a knob, you can make your very, very, very sketchy sounding audio sound absolutely amazing. Trust me, I love being a host. I love doing what I do, but the audio editing is kind of a pain in the butt. So guess what? These guys help me out big time. Take, for instance, the voice leveler. Let's say you got a client, someone on the phone, whatever, and you're recording, and the next thing you know, oh, well, my voice is too loud, or theirs is too quiet. You guys, with just a simple turn of a knob, boom, Accusana software can really help you guys out. Please scroll down. Check out this show sponsor, Accusanus, in the show notes. And now it's time to bring on our guest. Tonight's guest, well, I'm not going to lie to you. Is a bit of a savant himself. Ha 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 ha. Only with regards to the gimmick he played, though. Former WWE wrestler. Former tag team champion. This guy was in World Championship Wrestling. This guy was in the NWA. O'Valley, O'Valley, Ohio Valley Wrestling. Oh my God. Like, this guy has been everywhere. And of course, WWE as well. And a career that spanned beyond it. Tonight's guest is none other than Nick Densmore, a.k.a. Eugene, one of the coolest gimmicks of all time, and one of the most beloved, definitely during the early 2000s. Uh, Nick, how you doing today? Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Is this thing on? It's it's definitely on, my friend. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you for having me, and it's great to be here. I'm so, so excited. Oh, not as excited as I am. And, and you know, like, of course I'm going to research my guests before I bring them on. I've actually been kind of looking at some of your earlier stuff, you know what I mean? Like, just kind of peeking in at, at you know, that 2004, 2007 uh, WWE run and, and just the memorable parts of it. But you know what? Before we get there, I'm sure there's a wonderful story about how you became a professional wrestler. Because what a lot of people don't realize is that although Eugene, the character, was, you know, not exactly the brightest, <laughs> the wrestler behind him was actually quite the mechanic and a seasoned vet before he even started. So I'd love to talk to you a little tiny bit about that and uh, how I got you in the wrestling, Nick. Yeah, um, I lived in Southern Indiana, right across the bridge from Louisville, Kentucky. I was going to USWA shows at the Louisville Garden. I told everybody in my uh, high school senior class, class of 94, that uh, I wanted to be a pro wrestler and uh a girl that was 
couple great dealers, and we pull up to him in the hallway and said, hey, my dad has a wrestling school in Jeffersonville, which is like two minutes from where I live. That was the Nightmare Danny Davis. So when I was 19, I enrolled in the uh, Nightmare Danny Davis School of Professional Wrestling. I, I had wanted to be a professional wrestler since I saw the first Saturday Night's Main event. I saw Uncle Elmer get married. I saw a holster. I saw Piper. And it was just like, that's what I wanted to be. Yeah, and, and and the really cool thing about this is that you were actually part of the World Championship Wrestling as well, and you got to see those stars before they came to WWE as well. Some of them were in and back, and it was a wild, wild time, really, truly. Uh, you know, the heyday, in my opinion, of professional wrestling was was definitely you no know, late 90s to maybe the earlier 2000s. And uh, when I look back at even some of your some of your different types of matches, you'd never know this guy was Eugene. Watching him in the ring, uh, just an incredible talent. And uh, the, I, the, 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 the ability to translate somebody else's wants and needs in a wrestling match, uh, very much displayed by you well, well, well before you were Eugene. That's for sure. Uh, do you have any memories of WCW you'd like to share at all, Eugene? Like any of the matches you wrestled or some of the characters you came across? God bless the Hurts. Uh, I know a lot of them have passed on, actually, uh, Piper included. Uh, you know, is there any stories you'd like to kind of impart to the listeners? Yeah, uh, it all went down because I wrestled on the very first Brian Tillman Memorial Show. Yeah. Um, I was the first match, and that was the only show I knew of up to that time where this was 96, Austin was there, and then, like, Jericho was there. And then, like, the ECW guys were there. There was, like, WWE, WCW, and ECW, all six talent for this, for this benefit. So, I was working at the first. I met Terry Taylor then. Terry Taylor was working for WCW as a uh, road agent, you know, writer, creative in the office. Um, he ended up calling me in. I did two, two nitros, I think three thunders, and a handful of Saturday nights. Uh, and then Terry Taylor got released from WCW. Um, and then later on, he got hired by WWE, and he hired me to WWE in 1999. What an incredible little journey that was. And, and like, you talk about it so nonchalantly. Yeah, I did a couple of nitros, a couple of thunders. Meanwhile, it's like, we're talking traveling thousands and thousands of miles, <laughs> dealing with all the crazy stuff going on in the dress. Like, I can't imagine what it must have been like to to walk in that dressing room and be surrounded really by not only peers, but people you looked up to yourself. Uh, was there anybody in WCW you kind of felt really, really had the candle for you, so to speak, besides Terry? Like, were there other people in there that kind of had their arm around you and said, you know what, man, we're going to make sure that you do all the right things? Was there any mentors in there, Nick? Uh, actually, one was Canyon. Chris Canyon? Canyon was in an angle with... Uh, uh, Chris Canyon, yeah. Yes. Canyon was in an angle with... Uh, he, it wasn't an angle, it was Raven and Saturn and the Flock, and he was in the mix. And Saturn wanted to beat him up, but he couldn't beat him up if Raven was in the building. So the tension was building, and then there was one thunder where Raven wasn't there. So Saturn comes out with the, the loaded sign and says, Raven's not here, and beats up uh, uh, Canyon. I was about to have a match with Canyon, and he grabs the mic, and then he starts cutting his promo, and he must have said my name three or four times. Who is Nick Dillsmore? And it's just like he repeatedly said my name on purpose. And then when uh, Saturn came out, I just ran off. So I really didn't even have a match, but he got me on Thunder. He could have picked any guy in the power plant, any expert had in the building, but then he chose me for the next product. I didn't wrestle, but uh, I was on Thunder, and, and my name was probably remembered a little bit after that match. 
Absolutely. You know, very similar stories uh, I've heard, actually. <laughs> and that's actually an old wrestling trope, you know, keep mentioning the name of the people. Uh, Adam Cole, like, what a great example of someone who figured that out really, really early in his career and was like, you know what? I'm going to say my name over and over again until it's part of the gimmick, basically. And now he just comes out and says, Adam Cole, baby, and everyone loves him. So <laughs> it was, it's definitely a bit yep. of marketing that way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I went to the two-on-one handicap match on uh, Nitro uh, in 98, back when Nitro was still on top. It was me and Lenny Lane against Scott Steiner, and he beat the Jesus out of both of us. <laughs> I don't bomb me on top of Lenny, put us both in the Steiner recliner, and if you ever watch it, I'm on top, so I'm okay that he hooked Lenny right around his neck and took him out. He's telling, he's making a face, and all of a sudden he just put a dead pan, and then the match is over, and he, he, he looks up. Let the Steiner recliner go. <laughs> and of course, you know, for anybody who don't know who Scott Steiner is, oh my God, we're talking about Big Papa Pump, man. You know, like, come on, this guy's a legend himself. This guy's a legend himself. You know, it's such a strange idea, the idea of people getting together and, you know, a small group of people sometimes get together. They bring in their equipment. They go to a place they've rented and they put together a piece of equipment, basically, and they go out there and they do their best to to find what's needed to entertain people. And I'm not actually talking about professional wrestling. I'm talking about ghost hunting right now. There's a lot of parallels between the paranormal and the world of professional wrestling. So my plan with this interview is to kind of bounce back and forth between the timeline of you and your little and, and you're kind of kind of doing a little jump, so to speak. Uh, from your, your basic career right to your WWE uh, all the way up to the top and, and then back down again, but also the love of the paranormal and for the strange. Uh, what part of the paranormal fascinates you, Nick? Uh, I, 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 for me, I think it's just like the, the, the belief that there's something more out there. You know, nothing will ever understand it or, or, or be able to quantify it or measure it, but there's something more to this existence that we have. We are here to experience, and someone put it here. Some, some something brought everybody together in, in this pattern, and it's uh, just interesting. I, I like the idea too that there's more to life than you know. <laughs> there's more to life than what's in front of you, no doubt. And uh, you know, someone who's been in the ring with with a lot of people watching and screaming, there's there's something about how time just doesn't exist when you're out there in front of a crowd and how you're not, you are you, but you're not yourself. You're, 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 you're something else. And I think that that is such an incredible thing. You know, really in a lot of ways, wrestling is the ultimate method acting. Did you find it took a long time to kind of find your stride when the time did come for you to head into your Eugene gimmick, so to speak, did it, did it take some time for you to kind of warm up to that character and understand the ins and the outs? Like, you know, the Undertaker, you know, he, he kind of talks a lot about it took a long time to figure out what Taker really was. But once he got it, he got it down pat. Were you the same way with uh, with Eugene? No, Eugene came, well, once I started wrestling, Eugene came to me right away. But leading up to it, um, most people think that WWE gave me this gimmick and it's a bad gimmick and I, I was forced to do it. Well, it was me that pitched the idea. It was my, my, my idea. I've been wrestling as Nick Dingwall, Mr. Wrestling, in OVW under developmental contract, and I've been wrestling for eight years. And they've seen me wrestle, but I was just a boring wrestler. And, and you know, wrestling has kind of got a little bit more entertainment. So my coach, Rip Rogers, his son has autism. He goes, well, what about a character, you know, a Rain Man character that Maybe he's not very social, he can't cut the best promo, 
you know, tight uh, shoes, whatnot, but the minute the bell rings, he can do everything that he's ever seen flawlessly. And addition to the character that never really got fleshed out was that Eugene knows all the trivia. You know, every question, you know, it just right, right away gives you the answer. Um, I pitched that to the agents when they would come to, to OVW in Louisville. And the agents said, no, uh, wrestling's kind of gone beyond that gimmicky, that, that gimmicky stuff. It's, it's more reality-based now. Okay. A couple months go by, some of the writers come down. I pitched it to the writers. Oh, no, Vince would never, ever do anything like that. Okay. Couple months go by. I saw a lot of, uh, of other guys. They would complain, and they would get called up, called up the Raw SmackDown. The squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? So I thought, well, you know what? I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna squeak uh, a little bit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tease them. I'm gonna quit. I told Doug Baxter, I said, hey, I'm gonna quit and go to Japan. I had no connections with Japan. I didn't know how I would get there. I wasn't gonna quit. I was sleeping in my own bed every night, and I was top. Top, everybody top heel in my hometown territory. There was no reason for me to quit. Doug Baxter told Dean Malenko, Dean told Johnny Ace, next thing I know, February of 04, I'm sitting in a meeting with Vince McMahon. Vince goes, I want to get back to character-based wrestling. Yes. And, <laughs> you must have jumped and, out of your that, seat. That, that, that germ of an idea that was in the back of my head seven, eight months prior just popped out. And I said, well, what about this? And he goes, great. But I had no idea who that character was. That was just, you know, just like a, a framework. Steve Austin walks in. He was there uh, uh, February of 04 for something. Vince goes, Steve, have you ever seen this guy wrestle? He goes, no, I don't think so. I said, well, Nightmare Danny Davis trained me. Because I knew Danny and Austin had become friends when they both wrestled in Dallas and USWA. And Austin goes, well, he's probably one of the best. Huh. And Vince is like, all right, we'll start on Monday. Wow. Like, like, come on, right? People don't realize, like, they see these larger-than-life, you know, gimmicks and characters and stuff on TV, but, like, that interaction you're telling me there, man, that's, like, almost like a family feeling. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there was politics and a lot of hard times there, too. But, like, what a supportive atmosphere based on who trained you, where you came from, and just the right amount of twist of the arm. <laughs> and, like, yeah. can, I, can I just say that a lot of people, you know, you said earlier that people think that the Eugene gimmick was stupid okay well no it wasn't it was actually really smart and i'm going to tell you why it's because it was one of those gimmicks that always elevated everybody else around you and i love that william regal was the perfect person to play off and you know what i when i kind of look back at some of the old videos and stuff like that and i see you and regal in that debut the character of Eugene is quite complicated in a lot of ways, and usually the more complicated the character, the less it's received initially. But you guys really had that down to a science, and and Jim Ross as well. God love him. You know, he said at the <laughs> during the match, he said just the most sympathetic. Well, God love his heart. He thinks he's a real professional wrestler, and that was like the perfect <laughs> setup. And you know, I just look at these guys as consummate professionals in their craft. And I looked at you in that moment, and I said, My God. That was the perfect time for you to be there. You had a three-year run. A lot of people think that's not very long. I think that's really long for a professional wrestler, actually, in WWE. Like, unless you're one of the standouts as a gimmick like that. Oh, come on. You, you did wonderful. And, and not only that, you got across a very complicated character. Nobody remembers Kerwin White, okay? 
He was on the same card as you that <laughs> night. No one remembers poor old Chavo, one of the greatest wrestlers ever, in my opinion. Chavo is by far one of the best uh, and, and comes from one of the greatest families. We don't even need to talk about Eddie Guerrero, but I'll just say that there's no doubt in my world and no doubt in yours that uh, it, it doesn't matter how talented you are as a wrestler. Sometimes the gimmicks just flop. And uh, you were very fortunate to have one that didn't flop and, and kind of stood the test of time. Speaking of which, talk to me a little about William Regal because I've always loved this guy. Even back in his, even back in the WCW days, like he really had that that kind of in your face, no BS style of wrestling in the ring, and I, and I always liked that type of wrestling. Uh, how was he like to work with? Because like really, you played off with him pretty much right away when you stepped through that curtain that first time. No, the, the, the pairing of, of Eugene and William Regal, the odd couple, it, it was written by uh, uh, the writer Brian Gilwick, who wrote most of the rock stuff. Yep. The, 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 Brian knew how to write for Eugene, and he put it right together. And if it wasn't for Regal, I think Eugene would have been okay, but it was, would not have gotten over. Because I feel like that was the first time that William Regal almost ever became humanized. You know, yes. he cared for someone else. When he never has in his entire career, he's always been the villain. Even when he's a baby, he's a snag villain. But then all of a sudden, he's starting to care and compassion. I wish we could have taken it to where he turned on me or Eugene turned on him or something. Uh, but it, it, it didn't fold out that way. But he was a great guy. We did life together. Uh, you know, I stayed at his house when we were close to Georgia. Kajiri uh, was right with us also. So, Regal, who speaks proper English, but he speaks very soft if he's just you know, talking to someone. Kajiri can barely speak English and nobody understands him. So, Eugene's driving the rental car and we'll, we'll go to a checkpoint or something and nobody can understand Regal or Kajiri, so Eugene's got to do all the information. I pull into the arena with all the fans there. I would jump out screaming, I just got my driver's permit, and Regal would come out taking the heart attack. <laughs> Oh, that's just, and that's like living the gimmick. You know what I mean? Like, that's something that I always believed in too. Like, today, social media, I think, ruins it a lot because we, we, we see these characters all the time on social media talking about their matches and talking about what's happening and yada, yada, yada. It's almost like it's overexposure. Taker had it down pat, man. No one had an interview with him, barely anybody his whole career until he retired. And, he had it down pat. Of course, Eugene and Regal are going to show up. Eugene, I got my license. And for and for William Regal pretending he's having a heart attack. I think that, that in itself is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Nick Dinsmore right here on the Aunt the Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast. The views and opinions discussed on this show are of the guests and host. They do not reflect the views or opinions of associated sponsors or affiliates. If you become possessed by an interdimensional being after listening to this podcast, we are not liable for any damage caused by ectoplasm, physicality towards loved ones, or levitation-related injuries where you are listening from. Enjoy at your own risk. Attention all Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn radio listeners. The Odd to New Finland Paranormal Podcast brings you the best in East Coast esoterica on the first of every month. Together, we can keep it growing by sharing the show on social media, subscribing to the show wherever you may be listening to it from, and by leaving feedback about your favorite episodes. John certainly needs a friend like you to help make his dreams come true. Minus the alien abduction dreams. That is not cool at all. The Odd to New Finland Paranormal Podcast. Always available, always free, 
always odd. And we're back at hand here on the Odd the Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast with my special guest, Nick Eugene Dinsmore from WWE. We just start we just stopped talking about William Regal, how awesome he actually is in real life, which doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, you know, I've actually had the the honor of reading his book. And uh, I, I really did love that book. It was a great book. Although there's some racy stuff in there in the beginning. <laughs> you might want to watch out for some of those yeah. stories. Not for the younger generation, no doubt. So I have a couple of what we call the greatest hits of Eugene. And we're, we're going to kind of talk about that in a minute. But uh, before we do that, I want to jump back into the paranormal side of things. You know, Eugene, or should I say Nick, <laughs> there's always going to be a little something that kind of makes people tick with the realms of the paranormal. Some people like, you know, Bigfoot. Some people like UFOs. What kind of what kind of is the realm for you? Like, Do you think there's a, a thing out there that really interests you, like maybe conspiracy theories, anything like that? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ending up with a conspiracy theory, but I've always liked, you know, the, the thoughts of, of ghosts and, and Bigfoot and aliens and stuff like that. Uh, I think I heard Coast to Coast a couple of years ago, and then I was just like, like I took the red pill, and I'm, I was awo- I was awoken, and uh, <laughs> I just loved that stuff ever since, and I've eaten it up. That, uh, that Las Vegas shooting, I, I, I was following that for about two and a half years, as much as I could. It was incredible. There's no doubt that there's a rich lure all around the world, all around the world, wherever you go. And what a lot of people don't realize is that there's literally a lot of lore in the locker room itself. In professional wrestling, you've got to carry yourself a certain way, talk a certain way, be a certain way. You are on the inside of something that's much larger than you and it's going to be around a lot longer than you will be. So you have to learn the language and the lingo, so to speak. And we're not going to expose the business here today. I refuse to do that. I'm not doing that today with you. But I will say this. I bet you there's a lot of traditions and weird stuff going on back there that you can talk about. Maybe one or two things. And uh, what's probably one of the weirder experiences you've ever had on the road, Nick? Cool. Well, it, 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 was one, it wasn't necessarily on the road, but it was in Louisville. And uh, all this wrestled for a while, it was Halloween. And... At Halloween, the Waverly Hill Sanitarium has a Halloween, like the basement is a Halloween haunted house. Yep. So, but one of the guys got us the, the entire tour of the building. And I don't know if you've seen any, any of the videos of the Waverly Hill Sanitarium where all the tuberculosis kids went back in the early 1900s and all the paranormal stuff that's supposed to be there, the uh, uh, ghosts and whatnot supposed to be on there. Ghost hunters have been there. It's a, it's a, it's a, looks like a great building, but it's just brick and concrete. There's no windows. There's, there's nothing on the wall. It's just, everything is bare. No light, nothing. And I remember, you know, you could see some shadows, but nothing really caught my eye. But then I walked into that room 502. And if you look up room 502, where in the hills, supposedly a, a nurse had committed suicide in there and she was, she was pregnant. Maybe having an affair with the, the, the boss of the place. And then they told us the story about a woman years later came to the uh, construction site and said, the girl in 502 wants her shoes back. And they took the uh, grate off the uh, air duct and there was a small pair of shoes in there. When I walked in that room, I, I felt dizzy, lightheaded, slightly. And it was, it was just kind of a weird feeling. I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel nauseous. I didn't feel like I was going to pass out. Just a little lightheaded. When I walked out of the room, it went away. I've, I've never had a feeling like that, you know, since then. 
Well, there you go. And, and it's funny because everyone always says, you know, I don't really believe in the paranormal or ghosts or in the dead, but this one time, and then they tell you a crazy story. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'm glad I got a I got a Eugene but, ghost story just here for everyone out there. That that's pretty awesome today. That's yeah, pretty awesome. Time, wrestling's the same way. So like, well, I don't watch that wrestling, but this one time I saw it, this was going on. And it's funny that you say Louisville because, like, oh, I don't know if I should even say this. I'm afraid I might get lynched here online, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. But I freaking love Jim Cornette. <laughs> I always did. And, uh, man, oh, man, I, I, I hope that uh, – I don't I don't know what kind of relationship you got with him. With him, it's either he loves you or he hates you, it seems like, for the most part. But, uh, you know, did you have any run-ins with Jim Cornette at all or – Oh. Jimmy was pivotal in my career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tell me a little tiny bit about that, Nick, because I I just, you know, oddly enough, when I look back at stuff, I didn't see Jim's name mentioned at all, but I've seen him in a few pictures interviewing you and doing different stuff. So I have a feeling there's more to that story. So tell me about good old Corny here. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I started training in 1996. Uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling partnered with WWE. In late 98, mid to late 98, and that's about the time I think Cornette came in. So I had a couple years of experience, and I made a name in front of the small crowd that we had, but when Cornette came in, it's when we got local TV, and he started writing a storyline. And he always painted me as, you know, the top baby face, or if I turned heel, I was the top heel, or I was in a top tag match, I was always considered. But what they would do is they would take the uh, inexperienced WWE developmental talent and work them into those angles. So I'd have a two-month program with with Shelton Benjamin, and then Rob Conway and I in a tag match would have a four-month program with you know two other developmental guys to get them prepared. I was always figured in, with, and I was always I was always written well for by Cornette. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. He he's got a thing for storytellers, you know, and uh, and I've noticed he. he Although he's outspoken these days and with AEW, you know, running rampant, so to speak, and people doing different stuff than what they used to be on the go and wrestling his heyday doesn't surprise me. But uh, the fact that he kind of spotted you, you know, that does not surprise me at all, Nick. That doesn't surprise me at all. The, the ability to translate somebody else's story is kind of what you do. So that doesn't surprise me. And I'm glad I got a chance to shed a little positive light on good old Corny, who is in his heart. I know he might seem cold to all the crazy wrestling people out there right now, especially if you're an AEW fan. He definitely rubbed them all the wrong way. But you know what? He does have a heart of gold. He does a lot of good stuff for people. So, so there you go. Don't tell anybody that. And I won't say his catchphrase, or else I get kicked I, off the air. <laughs> how, how how old is Cornette now? How long has he been in wrestling? And either good or bad, people are still talking about him. Right, exactly. You know, you, I mean, he knows what he's doing. He's he's, he's a master of his craft. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad I got some positive stories from him as well. You know. <laughs> so, what do you think of modern wrestling right now? And I know that's a loaded gun, ready to go off, because you know you were part of it. You were part of it during its eighty. What do you think of it now? Like, are you still a wrestling fan at heart? Do you still watch? Yeah, I'm very much a wrestling fan. I might not keep up with the current product, you know, week to week, but I'll see on Twitter feeds or on social media, you know, kind of the headlines. And uh, in 2013, I went, I moved to Orlando, and I was a coach, one of the first coaches in the first class at the performance center for two years. 
Yeah, I was just going to um, ask so you about that. Go, so you were you were you, you, you said no about so you you go down to the actual performance center before like before this became a thing. Later on, this would literally save WWE's butt when it came time for the pandemic to hit. But like the performance center itself was such a just a wonderful idea. It, it took all the aspects of like. For anybody who doesn't know, all, all the WCW power plant ideas and all the WWE acting, like all that, and just put it all under one roof. And uh, like that must have been a, a treat in itself. Were there any stars on the roster today that you kind of had a hand in training, Nick? Um, Ron Strowman, when he was on TV, he started in my class. Chad Gable started in my class. They didn't have. There, there were a series of coaches and, and guys would filter in and out. So I, I, I helped train uh, in a couple classes like Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks. Um, Kevin Owens was there like right, right, right before I, uh, uh, I got released. Archie was there. Um, the Ascension was there. I mean, a lot of them. Tyler Breeze, you know, from, from 2013 to 2015. Well, I, I was a coach down there. It was, it was an awesome experience. They said that uh, when Triple H was transitioning from in-ring, on-air talent to the office, Vince had him go to every department in the WWE, the marketing department, the uh, uh, concessions, or whatever they do, this and that, and TV. And one of them come back and, and wanted Triple H to give Vince a report on it, comes back, and WWE has a, a degree of excellence across the board in everything. And Triple H was like, but that developmental system's kind of, kind of weird because what they were doing was WWE was contracting with an indie company. That's right. Using FCW at the time, but I mean, legitimately, it's its own company. It's an indie company training WWE talent. And Vince goes, yeah, you're right. He goes, well, so you'll be in charge of that. <laughs> and <I> said, okay. <laughs> Triple H goes to the, uh, the, the New York Giants training facility and kind of looks around and sees what they have. And he kind of patterns that up, up with the New York Giants. Have. And it's got a huge room for trainers and, and uh, ice baths and hot tubs and physical therapy and a huge gym and seven rings and got rings you can do high flying stuff in. You know, you, you've got on demand every WWE video I think they have in the library anytime you can watch it. Uh, you got the little closet where you can cut promos, and then your coaches can go back and watch the promos that you cut and give you feedback. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're, everybody should succeed leaving that place. Like, I can't see how you would not be a better worker if you spent even a day in that place. And, uh, you know, I, when, you, when you say those names that they were around and training and, and doing some seminars and stuff like that, too, what an absolute blessing to be able to come back and be a part of that. And, and really, that's like like six years after your run is over. So, like, you're still very much a part of, of that family. I think that's wonderful, man. That's that's awesome. Not a lot of guys and gals get to do that. So that's a, that's a testament well, to your abilities, eh? Well, when, when, when the developmental system in 98 first came to Louisville, I, I was also, you know, helping coach those guys that were coming in. When Batista and Brock Lesnar and Cena and Skelton Benjamin came in, um, I helped, you know, train those guys. I was working with those, those guys in the ring. So then whenever they got called up and Eugene got called up, I think it was just, I'd already got to know them. So they didn't treat me like I was a new guy. That's and right. They just, you know, like you said, the, the whole, the whole, WWE family just realized, okay, he, he's in, he's one of us. 
And you can kind of tell that too, like just to play devil's advocate, a little tiny bit here with the politics of it. But like here, within the first like month and a half of your run, I mean, you're out in the ring with evolution. You're out, like you're hanging out with the cream of the crop, so to speak, and freaking playing off Triple H and The Rock. And and we're going to take another commercial right there. But uh, when we come back, I'm going to let everybody here know about that one moment where The Rock came back from Hollywood just to hang out with Nick. And I thought that was a pretty cool moment back then. Hold on to your hats, guys. I'm the Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast. I'll be right back with Eugene in a few moments. The views and opinions discussed on this show are of the guests and host. They do not reflect the views or opinions of associated sponsors or affiliates. Howling at the moon, a sudden urge to eat your cat, or an intense desire to mark your territory are common side effects of listening to and or being bitten by this show. Enjoy at your own risk. Welcome back to the Odd the Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast. We're here to close it out, so to speak. Our last 10 minutes on the air with our very special guest, Nick Dinsmore, a.k.a. Eugene from WWE. We're going to talk a little tiny bit about, well, Eugene's current life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's let's talk a little tiny bit about the last couple of years. The pandemic has hit wrestlers incredibly hard, especially if you're on the indie scene, which is why I'm, I'm trying so desperately to reach out a couple of times a year and book people on my show. Because I want to make sure not only do we get to talk about all the cool stuff you guys did, but give you guys a payday as well. And let's let's talk a little tiny bit about that, because I can't imagine how hard that must have been. Uh, you know, as a professional wrestler who's dying to wrestle, <laughs> like, what did you do for those two years in the pandemic to keep yourself sane, Nick? Well, when I finished uh, as a coach in uh, Orlando, my wife is from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and where her family lives, so we moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Sioux Falls had no independent wrestling company at all. Wow. She told me that. I was like, no, there's got to be there's gotta be somebody running some, some, some small little place. But there wasn't. The closest place was Omaha, which is three hours south of here. <clears throat> so in 2015, I started my own wrestling company called Midwest All Pro Wrestling. Uh, I ran for six years. I just sold it in December. But I ran it for six years. We had, we started off, you know, with just one, one uh, uh, show a month. And from the first show, I got two students. And then the second show... The first two students wrestled each other, and I got six students. And by the end, I fully trained over 200 guys total in uh, in six years. And we were in the end running running three two two to three shows a month, sometimes four. Wow! Yeah, that's a lot of people. I mean, I, I was one. Uh, I, I I didn't do the candle work, but I would edit uh, the film. I would make the graphics. I make the commercials. I had a deal with a, a local car lot where he could give me 15 seconds and there's 30 second commercials. So I had a, a commercials on TV. Um, I would do the training. I was trying to book the towns. And it was, it was, it was a, a full time job and it just got to be a heck of a lot. So I started it and Eugene is on tour on the weekend. I started doing a, uh, I don't want to say I'm doing a stand up comedy tour because I'm, I'm not really a very good stand up comedian, but I'm doing a storytelling and sit down comedy. So tell me a little tiny bit about that comedy career, because like, I mean, obviously, like, just drawing on your funny moments and stuff like that with Eugene. But I know there has to be a sense of humor in there somewhere, right? This guy's a stand-up comedian as well. Tell me a little tiny bit about that. Uh, how many shows have you done now? Well, I, I've done just a handful, but I'm, I'm trying to kind of kind of kick that uh, part of my career off. 
And it's a lot of really good stories coming from my days in the WWE. Like, when I first met my wife, her name was Stephanie. And when I was on the road one night, I might have partaken in a, a little bit too much of the fruits of the labor of the land. And before bed, I was going to send her what, uh, what do the kids call it? A section. <laughs> and I filled out something and I sent it and I went to bed. I woke up the next morning realizing that on my contact list, Stephanie is right next to Shelton Benjamin. <laughs> so I come in, awesome. I come in the locker, I come in the locker room the next day. I'm in the locker room and I'm like, you're not going to put that there. I'm not going to be doing this. I'm just so tired. It's funny too. It's uh, embarrassing. <laughs> Oh my God, poor Shelton Benjamin. I mean, I mean, I, okay. First and foremost, shout out to Shelton Benjamin, amazing wrestler. I'm pretty sure he's a vampire because every time I see him, he looks bigger and younger. I don't understand how this happens, but like, God, just amazing. But anyway, uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> she must be one special girl, Nick. She must be one special girl to be hanging out with you still. And I got a Stephanie too. My wife's name is Stephanie, so they're a good breed. They're a good breed. <laughs> Oh, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I, I've been in the ring with The Rock. I've been in the ring at WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan. I have been 10 Vince fans. But the greatest day of my life was the day that I married my wife. Ah, see? Now, that just that just fills me up with just the warm stuff right there. <laughs> okay. You know, we got to right, bring this. i got one more story for you. Sure. We've got time for one more story here. Always, always, always. we got so, four uh, minutes. Go ahead. Give it to her. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big fan of Coast to Coast, and I was listening one night, and there was a replay of um, his show from years ago. The gist of it was, there was a guy on there saying that there are aliens uh, inside of human bodies, and they can telecommunicate read our thoughts. He said he was in a Texas diner, and he's sitting there, he didn't say a word, he thought in his head, if anybody in this diner is not from this planet, please make yourself known to me. He said about two minutes later, a woman walks by, stops, looks at him, she does a curtsy, and then walks on. <laughs> so the next day, the next day I went to the Epcot Center, and all day long, in my head, I'm saying, somebody from the Epcot Center is not from this planet, please let yourself be known to me, all day long. My wife and I are in line for uh, one of the rides, it's like a futuristic car, and as you move along the line, there's a computer, you can add bigger tires or a bigger engine and design this car, but everybody ends up getting in the same ride, so it's just something to do while you're in line. Behind us, there were two two guys. One might have been like 21, one might have been like 23, and they both looked like they didn't leave the house, so they were kind of big infested, and the younger one was on the computer, punching everything, didn't say words. The other one was like right next to him, and he was talking. I couldn't understand what he was saying, but I heard his voice, and he was behind us. I get up to the front of the line. My wife gets in. The guys with the ride helping me in. And in my ear, the kid behind me, I swear to God, he's right in my ear. He goes, there are, there are nine species in our closest seven galaxies, four of which are underwater species. And the guy puts me in the car, and they shut it, and it takes off at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> I got the ride. I didn't feel a kid again. Well, there you go. <laughs> like, how did he find you? <laughs> That's creepy. That's awesome. That's odd to do for land. I love it. You know, I, I got to close here with just bringing up one more thing. You know, you just got back from France. Tell me a little tiny bit about France. How did it go? What were you doing there? Don't tell me you were wrestling again. You were wrestling, weren't you, Nick? Tell the truth. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was a featured match on this big show that was in, I believe it's 
the city's name is Desire, D-E-Z-I-E-R-S, but we flew in Venice, Venice is beautiful, in southern France. I got to walk along the coast, take, take pictures, and there's really touristy there. And we looked to, to the show, it was in a bullfighting arena. Cool. Um, and I've never, I've, I've never been inside of a bullfighting arena, but it was a really cool setup, and all the fans showed up, and France loves Eugene, and Eugene loves France. <laughs> Do you still play the Eugene character, or have you evolved it, so to speak, into something different now, Nick? Well, the intellectual property that I came up for that is labeled as the E-U-D-E-N-E character is owned by WWE, but uh, the U-D-E-N-E uh, character that I've created is completely different. It's, it's a whole other, but it looks very similar, but it's just, you know, Enough to still be able to use them. <laughs> well, like, like, uh, I, I think, uh, I think, I was, I've never been sent a cease and desist by WWE, but I was on tour again in France about ten years ago, and WWE sent that tour uh, cease and desist on using our music. But there was a lot of guys on that tour. Bret Hart was the headline of the tour. Sabu was on it. Balls was on it. Tess was on it. Tazalco was on it. Scotty Juhani was on it. We yeah. were going to go on uh, uh, TV in France uh, and WWE sent them a cease and desist on the music. And I've never really been given any grief over the name. No. And, and, you know, for the most part, I can see what would be the music stuff because that's where the money is, really. Because what you end up doing now is all this copyright stuff, right? And then it's like, <laughs> like watching Sandman come out for his entrance in 2006. Live, it really is Metallica blaring. But once they put the DVD out, it's something else factored in all together. <laughs> Different song. Oh, my gosh. When, when, when I started Midwest Off Pro Wrestling on my YouTube uh, uh, channel, Midwest Off Pro Wrestling, I had a section that was my greatest matches of all time. And I tried to find some matches on YouTube that I saw other people had. So I put them on, on my channel. Uh, and I got a strike for uh, New Japan, one of the matches. And then all of a sudden it was like two, three. And, 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 and they closed my account. I had like 10,000 subscribers. I had one video that had 1.8, 1.8 million views. Uh-huh. Boogie Man, Terry Rogers, Fargo, North Dakota, and just gone. Uh, yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. But, uh, you know, I, I'll say this much. It definitely has made it, I know, possible for us to kind of contact and, and be able to have people even like yourself and me like my god the thought of being able to reach out to eugene 15 years ago to me and say hey want to come out for an interview and like talk to me about your life <laughs> was like impossible but now it's like a mere email away and we really are all are connected no doubt no doubt about that you know for all the fans out there of eugene Guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to thank our sponsor once again, Accusanas, for supporting the show, as well as all the givers, the oddballs, the people who are subscribed to the show and who actually gave the, do- the monetary donations needed to get Nick paid today. Thank you guys so very, very much for that. You're true fans. And uh, well, guys, we'll see you again very, very soon. Nick, thanks so much for taking the time today. Hey, everybody, follow Eugene on Twitter, at the letter U, G-E-N-E, Dinsmore, D-I-N-S-M-O-R-E, Nick Dinsmore on Instagram, the Nick Dinsmore YouTube channel. Thank you so much. I love being here. Okay, and for one more time, can we get a Eugene saying goodbye, but as Eugene, like the actual character, can we, can we hear it? <laughs> hey, everybody, you remember me? My name is Eugene. I just want to say goodbye. Have a nice day.